0: Good morning. Let's get started here. We've got a lot to review, so... Following up from last time, we covered gospel doctrine and kind of had that idea of having a big picture of the Bible, and I gave you that four-chapter outline of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And I wanted to highlight to you uh, one of the little tracks that are out on the back rack uh, Kevin DeYoung, who's a fantastic author that you should read if you have the opportunity, um, he put this together and it expands that outline with a little bit more emphasis on Christ and the actual New Testament introduction to the gospel. So you unfold it and it's, a little, it's attractive because of the colors and the simple outline. In, in, in some tracks, they're just all words and, you, and it's kind of like a lot of paragraphs and it can just look like, I don't know. This one has a nice look, it's simple panels, so they have creation, curse, and then a couple of the emphases here, Christ and cross, recreation, and then the call to the gospel, the commitment he has it as. So you might want to take a look at that just as a a tool, if you ever were going to have a simple tract to give to someone, I've over the years really developed I don't, probably a critical to a fault eye for tracks because some of them are just pretty lame. And, and this one is, a, is, a, is a, a good, thoughtful presentation because it, it captures the story of the Bible. So uh, grab one of those. There's a couple others. What is the gospel? Maybe God is the gospel. Um, the bridge track is out there. Some of you would remember that from decades ago. Um, But I wanted to remind you that that's a a great resource um, for that story of the Bible. All right, we covered expositional preaching, gospel doctrine, conversion, and evangelism. Today, we're going to try to knock out the rest because we want to start talking some parenting questions next week. Uh, So number four, mark number four, was church membership. I think Aaron uh, laid this one out for us cleared it all up, answered all your questions, so we don't need to spend a lot of time, right? Um, As I was thinking through some kind of summary, I came up with two questions. Um, And I'd read them to you, but I can't see them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I saw two of something, and I was guessing, I think it's two questions. Number one... What are the building blocks of the church? How do we define the life of the church? And two, where do we insert this label of church membership? So we're really, in my mind, talking about two questions. One, what does the Bible say about people that belong to Christ and they become his people, the church? And then after we're working on that a little bit, where do we insert this label that we now call church membership? where it's kind of common sense to all of us, well, yeah, I don't go to church with the believers in Afghanistan. No, I'm right here in America, and not in Detroit, but Kansas City, and not just Kansas City, but a suburb of Kansas City. So we all recognize that we're a part of some local body, but how how do we take those ideas of Church membership classes and church membership definitions and require. How do we then overlay that to what the Bible says about who is the church and what are we doing? So it's really two questions in, that we, we need to be asking and answering. Because when we start thinking, what are the building blocks of the church? We realize that it's not too complicated. You start with Christians, right? So even in the book of Acts, they repented and they believed, and then it says they were baptized and they were added to the church, and there were thousands of them uh, at Pentecost. So you have Christians, and then the other building block of the church is that they do some kind of life together. So it's Christians living out their faith together. We could probably have some other little blocks and some finished carpentry around that, but in a sense, that's the basics. You have a bunch of Christians, and until Christ comes back, we're kind of trying to get it right together. Somewhere in there, we take this idea of the local church and its membership ideas, and we kind of lay that on top of that, those building blocks. This is why different churches can do it differently, and we don't have to panic. We don't have to think, what are they doing? That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Acts says you're supposed to do membership in these five steps, well, no, it can be different. We here just want to kind of think through what are we doing and how can we be a little bit more clear. Some people might think of it as a more organic thing. It's, just, it's, it's all about the life and the relationships. Yes, it is. Remember, Christians doing life together. Others might have a more corporate view and they would say, yes, but what about you know, recognizing the church actually saying, yes, we, we hear your profession of faith and, and we see it lived out in your life. So yes, we think you are part of the church. What about that corporate kind of nature of the church endorsing somebody's profession of faith and observing that fruit? Uh, how do we go about structuring life together to make sure somebody isn't falling through the cracks? So some people like the organic side, and they're just the relational, and others are, well, wait a minute, it, it needs a little bit of structure, otherwise we don't really know what's going on. And the answer is, it, it is both of those. But anytime we start like feeling the stress rise on the membership topic, we need to think, okay, like, what if God called us to you know, Zimbabwe? I don't even know if that's a country anymore. The way they rearrange Europe and Africa anymore, I'm my geography days have, you know, are lost, but God calls you to some mission field, and you realize this just got incredibly simple, (laughs) like, there isn't the first and the second of every denominational church there to choose from, and it's not, well, you're a Christian, but do you think this way about end times, or that way, because that's going to be a different church, and no, like, you're just there, and if there's believers, it's, you're in it together, um, that mission's context when you get away from our american kind of concept of a church on every corner and if you don't like that one there's this one and if you don't like you know that drum beat you can go somewhere else and get the guitar strum and if you don't like the way he's strumming you can go over here and listen to it another way and you can just keep going with your preferences until you find pretty much what you want in a mission's context and you can think of missionaries you've known that actually have their churches this way you realize okay, some of that stuff kind of falls away, or it's not even on the radar because that's not what you're dealing with. You're literally looking for anybody who names the name of Jesus, and now what do you do with those building blocks of what the church is? They're Christians, and we're trying to do life together. So in some ways, we just need to simplify it and just say, wait a minute, what are we trying to do? And then maybe in some other ways, there could be a way that we articulate a little bit of a structure just so we know what exactly is going on. Uh, So when we think of church membership, and I I know we voted on some of these. I don't know if we're gonna have time to vote on them all. Um, I I just scored this one as a one, which would be weak. Two is stable, three is strong. Uh, Weak, not in the sense of Nobody here understands what it means to do life together. I think that's a ball that's starting to roll and pick up some steam. Uh, But I think in the sense of communicating clearly, and and that's how a lot of these marks are. If you you kind of ask the average church member, would they have the answer that we as the leaders think they should have? Because eventually we want to communicate to everyone so that people know, hey, this is why we do what we do. I've been here long enough to know this is what it means to, to be a member. Um, so I, I would say we have some work to do in clarifying our goals, uh, our definitions of membership. Um, when you think of like a new person walking in the door, um, we want to recognize there's an acceptable time for them to kind of get to know us and understand what's going on here. But then eventually, we'd, we'd be wanting them to know we're expecting you uh, as a Christian once we've discovered that's the case, to kind of do life together with people. So we want to lay that expectation at the front door so when people cross over, they kind of recognize, okay, if we're going to land here, this is what they're going to want from us. Um, so there's, there's some steps we could take to encourage that kind of understanding. Uh, so church membership. We'll keep plugging away on that one and... Uh, moving forward, I think it might even involve a few other discussions. There were, there were some good conversations happening after that session in the weeks to follow. Uh, and folks are really trying to think through uh, those building blocks. What, what is essential to this concept of membership? And then, sure, is there anything else we can do in the corporate sense to organize that and make it clear? Number five was the concept of biblical church discipline. Uh, that was, I think, Daniel. I think he announced at the beginning, remember how excited he was to, to be the first one to choose that topic. Now, that, that, was, that was left at the bottom, and uh, Daniel was gracious enough to pick up what was left. Uh, it's interesting, in, in the age of, in this age of self-determination, you know, I can be whatever I want to be, um, I love hearing like, you know, a, a six foot nine NBA player, you know and Make-A-Wish Foundation or something, and he's telling some kid, you can be anything you want to be. I'm thinking, yeah, except an NBA basketball player, right? (laughs) You're like, okay, anything you want to be within reason. Uh, In this age where we think we can be whatever we want, as long as we say we are, uh, it's shocking for many to hear that the evaluation of whether someone is counted as a Christian or not rests with the church, and not with the individual. Um, That doesn't mean you don't have confidence in your faith. Uh, doesn't mean you don't have the assurance of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, affirming that you are a child of God. We're not talking about whether you are a Christian or not. Uh, That very much becomes uh, a matter of you and the Lord and that Spirit's witness and such. We're talking about the evaluation of whether you are counted as a Christian. So it's not just up to you. You just don't get to demand, I am a Christian, uh, and I can live however I want. Um, no, the, the Bible says we can't know who truly is or isn't, but the Bible doesn't ask us to know who truly is or isn't. The Bible asks us simply to see if the fruit that is produced matches what the tree is called. And so, if you go to an apple tree in your yard or a peach tree, you know what to expect from that tree. And so, the Bible just keeps it real simple and it says, no, there's just this evaluation of fruit. It's not, you're not asked to be omniscient and, and to see the soul. You're just asked to make a simple, characteristic evaluation of fruit. But in this day and age, people don't like the fact that the church would have a voice in that. How dare they say what I am or am not? But that's simply how God said it's to be. By their fruit, you will know them. Uh, So when we think of this evaluation of fruit, it helps us understand, one, in the context of church membership, we shouldn't just be assuming everybody who says they're a Christian is a member. So if people came and they're just in your church and now the church is swelling and you've got, you know, 2,000 people in the church, but only 600 of them even show up on Sundays and you don't really know how any of those others are living, well, that's how you can see a problem with church membership develops. You don't know who are Christians really and you don't see them living life together. Uh, So we have to make sure in this estimation of who is the Christian and are they living like one, that's important to say, yes, you can be a member. We think you are a Christian. We see the fruit. But then the ongoing process of sanctification is, hey, the church is speaking into your life and addressing that action, that attitude, that response that didn't seem Christ-like, and they're helping us back to that path of godliness. But that raises the question, What is the one ultimate cause for discipline at the corporate level? So thinking, going through the the confrontation of someone's sin, uh, and eventually it's brought to the church there in Matthew 18, but what is the one ultimate cause for bringing somebody's sin to the church? What's the one sin that will ultimately end up in discipline? Right, it's, there's, there's no, you can't church discipline someone for anger or for adultery or f- murder or any other sin. Um, church discipline isn't for sin. Unless we probably rightly broaden the definition to church discipline to mean any form of discipleship that is in that passage of Matthew 18, when you see your brother and they sin. So you go to them and you say, man, the way you treated your wife when I was over at your house the other day just seemed like, I don't know, it just seemed harsh, didn't seem loving. And they're like, man, I never thought about that. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'll, I'll go make this right with my wife. And suddenly that sin, if it indeed was that, was dealt with because you, you showed it to them. You, you Christians living side by side dealt with the sin, and it was church discipline in, in the full explanation but maybe not church discipline, what would we call it, church discipline proper or church discipline corporate because it happened in the early stages. It was the care for one another that brought about sanctification and most of the believers in the body didn't even know about it. Well, there's times where a larger group needs to go, the text says, and eventually the whole church needs to have a voice in the matter. Um, That biblical church discipline is helpful when we realize it only goes all the way through the process when in the evaluation of the original individuals and the broader group and then the church as a whole recognizes we're not seeing any change in the matter. So it's that lack of repentance that becomes the issue. I think if we were evaluating church discipline in some ways, having been through the process a handful of times, um, we could say, well, we're not... Afraid to take the steps. Um, And in the earliest lists of marks of a church, if there were such, it would have been uh, church discipline and the ordinances or sacraments. So if a church, a body of believers gathered and they partook of the Lord's Supper and did baptism to identify with Christ, and they were willing to say, No, here's a definition of the church and exercise. a caution about who is in the church, be it in restricting membership or in kicking them out, in a sense. Uh, those were the original marks of healthy churches. We've kind of expanded it. Um, so we're saying, no, we've done this, we're willing to do it. Um, so we can't say maybe we're weak, but I would think we need to keep thinking and keep hearing teaching on what it fully means, because I would, I would venture to say some of you would have questions like, well, what do we do in, you know, 1 Corinthians 5 when you get rid of the leaven so it doesn't defile the church and ruin the testimony of Christ? And how does that relate with, like, John's letters where it says, you know, here's these heretics, these te- false teachers, and we're not even to eat with them. So if somebody's under discipline from the corporate life of the church, you know, should you sit down and eat breakfast or lunch with them, for example, if they wanted to talk with you? Um, if they're part of your family, can you go to a family gathering? Like, some of those questions come up, and it's like, oh, oh wait a minute, maybe, maybe you're going too far in your thinking of whatever you think it means to treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Because I don't think Jesus was saying, boy, go after these people, you know, with the sword, or shun them like, in, like the Amish community would, or something, um, so I think there's more that we need to wrestle with in, you know, we think church discipline is just, you know, somehow take them before the church or announce their sin to the whole church, and it's like, well, and then we never talk to them again, and it's like, well, wait a minute, there, there is some sense that they are supposed to feel very much like they have been excluded, like that, they, that they, they've lost a connection, they've lost the fellowship, but that's the whole point. What church discipline is saying is we don't see you wanting to engage in the life of Christianity that means people coming alongside and telling you you need to change. So that there is something lost. When you say, I don't want that, and we're saying, no, that's what the church has to offer. There is something lost. So more than a decade ago, in one of the early cases of church discipline, the first critique we heard of the process was, after it was dealt with publicly in the church and they were there and raised their voice in the midst of it, um, the first complaint we heard was, well, nobody's even reaching out and talking to me. I said, well, exactly. Like, we just had you and the whole church talked and people in the church were standing up and telling them, no, you're still wrong. Uh, You need to repent. Uh, And none of that would be heard. And so then they left and said, nobody's reaching out to us. Well, that's because we've reached out for over a year now, and then it came to a head in the church, and there isn't going to be sweet fellowship until you recognize what we're trying to do as Christians living together to help each other get it right. So I think there's a lot to keep wrestling with, and a lot of this would be even you just reading through Matthew 18 and seeing what's going on there. Is there any time stamp? Do we have to do this in all in one week? Uh, And you start realizing a lot of the thoughts you might have in your head about what it is, what it's supposed to look like, not found in the text there. There's just a few basic guidelines that help us see, no, a lot of this is discipleship, not the more negative connotation in our minds, discipline. And so probably a a two on church discipline, stable, average, but have some work that we can be doing. Number six was a biblical concern for discipleship and growth. Uh, Randy, I think you had this one. Uh, really, the idea here is not unrelated to membership. What do we want somebody new to grace hearing as they walk in the door? Uh, and some of that is that expectation. Uh, we want to know from the start. And I heard somebody in this, in this congregation Uh, I was having a conversation with them, and if I knew who it was, I'd probably say who you were because it it was just a beautiful thing that instead of kind of asking them, hey, you know, uh, do you have another church or do you like this church? Instead of making it about church, they just kind of laid the question right out there, well, are you a Christian? Or, you know, are you trying to figure that out? Because right away it established, well, well if you're going to be a part of the church, we'd want to know if you're a Christian. Uh, so I thought, you know, that, that's a fantastic start to discipleship and growth. Rather than knowing, you know, their biography and all the churches they've been in and the problems with the previous church, and while they're looking for another church, let's get back to the basics of, hey, are you a Christian? Uh, or can we help you figure out what that means? Uh, so that's the starting place for discipleship and growth. And then it's, okay, what's next? Um, I don't know if many of you have ever worked with one of these sound boards that run all the microphones, but they've gotten a little more high tech in some ways. But the general idea is you can plug in all kinds of microphones and projectors and anything else that's going to work, and there's a little switch for every one of those plugs. So if Mike... Number one needs to be turned up. You can move that one up. If it's the pulpit mic, move that one up. If it's the singer, move that one. The piano, that one. Uh, we want to hang some mics in here because we want to record the congregation singing because you sing beautifully. And churches have done this and even produced albums where it's just that congregational voice singing. Uh, so we could turn that one up. Um, I want to picture, like, church membership and, the, and all the people attending, like it's a giant soundboard, and there's your name, your channel, you know, 37. There you are, you know. So Randy taught this one, so we'll make Randy channel 37. Well, how do we bump Randy up a little bit? If we're trying to get to the 10, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and, you know, you think we're at all different places, we're, we're growing, we're figuring it out, we're being discipled, you know, some of you are new believers, you've been saved five years, some of you have been saved 50 years, but the question really isn't, well, how do I compare to that saint that's been raised in the church, you know, and I'm a new Christian, I don't understand this stuff. That's not the point. The point is, what's your next spiritual step? How do we bump you up a little bit? Somebody else is already at a nine and a half, and they're 70 years old, and you think, what more can they do? That's a great question. Because what does it look like to keep growing? So let's get them to a 9.6 before they enter heaven, right? Uh, Some some others are down at the 2, and it's like, how do we bump them up just a little bit? So it's not a matter of, well, everyone needs to be at this. Well, yes, everyone needs to be where Christ is, but getting them there is a different story. And it sure seems like Jesus was really good in the Gospels about, getting into that particular channel, and how do I move this one up? What do I do for Zacchaeus? That's great. Maybe he'll be a teacher someday, and he'll be up there to nine and leading all kinds. But right now, i got to get him to repent because he's, he's in love with money, and, he, and he's a cheat because of it. So how do I help him? And then how do I help this one? And how do I help this one? So I think discipleship and growth uh, isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all Uh, There are principles that apply to all, but I think our approach can be to very, very individually think, what's for you? Uh, And that's a good question for you to be thinking. What is next for you? Uh, Some of these men, even, that stepped into the, the podium and did some teaching, some of them are thinking, like, I don't know. There's a couple there, though, that, you know, I've heard folks say and started realizing, okay, that person might need to be nudged a little bit. And, like, you need to keep figuring that out. That, that came across pretty good, uh, pretty well. Discipleship and growth. Uh, I, again, I, I don't think it's a, a glaring weakness. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's our marquee strength either, though. So I think, again, stable, a number two. There's There's an average sense. I'd like to say above average in my estimation of what you're attempting to do through Different groups that are happening, different meetings going on. I hear a lot of things that aren't on the radar as like official church activities, and that's just encouraging that we're thinking Christians doing life together. And if you're one of those who are saying, Well, hey, I'd like to be involved in more of that, but I, I don't really have anything I'm doing, uh, let us know. Come to me and, and, and let me know because as we get through the summer here, there's a few groups meeting and we need several more. Um, And that might mean just opening your home and letting two or three couples gather with you and just share that life's experience and pray about what's ahead in the next week. And that's the essence of a small group. You want to read a book together, great. You want to watch a DVD together, great. But let's keep it simple and just start with Christians that are just sharing a little bit of life together. Uh, Then you realize, well, that's not so challenging. Being a small group facilitator suddenly it was brought down into the realm of just biblical language of Christians doing life together, Acts 2. They went house to house and just shared. So uh, if, you're, if you're longing for that, or even better said, if you're not doing something that looks like that, you, you probably need to be. Uh, and I think you'd get a little taste of it in just a couple of meetings and you'd realize that's really nice to, to be engaged with people and to know how to bear a few burdens, and maybe even be willing to share your own. Uh, discipleship and growth, we need to keep pressing on into what it means to live side by side. Uh, biblical church leadership, uh, Chris covered this one. Um, here again, uh, you probably know the basics. The Bible gives us two general positions. The labels are, for the one, pastor, which is used once, bishop, which gets out couple of references, and then elder is the most common usage for that church leader, uh, both in administration or in teaching. The other office is that office of deacon. It's a word for servant, and while it's used most often for everybody just serving each other, there are a couple of instances where it seems to be recognized as this official kind of capacity. And the way we see that evolving, if indeed Acts 6 is the evolution of Deacon, or elsewhere, would be the reality that there's a lot of serving happening, and eventually that that area of service gets so spread, there's so much serving happening, that you kind of have to organize the servants who are serving. So get a few chief servants to organize, carry a little bit of extra load, leading other servants. So you think, even just in, in our church, you could have a lot of kids running around, right? And so we were trying to do classes or trying to do a nursery. Well, that starts involving a number of adults and a little bit of structure. And so you ask somebody to kind of be the chief servants over those servants. And you just do a little organizing. They bear a little bit of extra weight. In Acts 6, some of the widows were being fed. It's a great ministry, but there's a lot of them. Uh, the Judaizers are persecuting the church, Rome's going to start getting in on that. And so the church is spreading out, and there's a lot of needs, and needs are being met, but it needs a little bit of organization because some people are falling through the cracks. And so they say, hey, by the Holy Spirit, choose out these men who seem to walk with the Lord and ask them to do a little bit of extra work. I don't think they said, everyone else, stop what you're doing and let these guys do it all. It seems like it just meant we just got to shore it up so that it's, it's done well. Uh, so I, I think there's some work we can do there, even in understanding uh, that joy of serving and recognizing that the word deacon doesn't mean superstar, and it doesn't mean authoritative decision maker, and it doesn't mean pastor or elder. It just means, hey, Thanks. Thanks for serving in such a way that it's so obvious we're going to ask you to kind of help organize other servants so that nobody falls through the cracks. Uh, That's what a deacon is. They're just that extra kind of guarantee that people will be loved well and cared for in the church. Uh, Some of you could probably be doing that, and and we might be asking you hey, uh, could you serve as a deacon and just have an antenna to needs? there's still there's still needs that come up, and I know some of you guys. Knowing if you knew about them, you'd jump right in. You know, it's people that you know the the tree falls on their porch, or you know they they just need some lawn care or something. Hey, I'll throw that out there. Alan's not going to be mowing his yard for a little while, so uh, we're going to need some help there. Just otherwise, it's going to be Emily out there with a couple of kids and. Toe, you know, pushing the lawnmower. Well, I told Emily, hey, if you want the exercise and enjoy it, great. We're not going to take it from you. But I have a feeling we could probably take that from her and, and not offend her. Uh, so things like that come up all the time. And, and I think we need a deacon to organize just like care ministry like that. And so anything comes up, it's like, hey, go see so-and-so. And that so-and-so might have five of you guys instantly on his list. And he can say, hey, anyone do this today? And by the time it gets through the list, somebody gobbles it up and it's taken care of. And it looks like Acts 6, nobody fell through the cracks. Uh, So a little bit more we can do there. Uh, Certainly in the matter of the eldership and and that kind of leadership, uh, we're just embarking even with these nine guys teaching, not that they're the nine that are considered elders. No, we just realize we got to have men serving because in the doing of ministry, you, you see gifts uh, shine. Um, and that doesn't mean some shined and didn't in the teaching. It simply means by doing anything, uh, by doing kind of deacon work, we might start seeing, wow, that there's some real organizational skill there. And then in the care for some of those people, you might realize, you know, that deacon is actually doing like pastoral care in that need that he was supposed to go and do some work on their yard, and yet he was doing pastoral. We start seeing that, and it It just comes out in the doing of the life together. So that is what's beeping on the radar as our screen there is lit up in front of us. It's like we need to start seeing, okay, where are those gifts and let's use them because uh, the church has grown since we committed to eldership uh, and there's a lot more needs, a lot more care that needs to happen. Uh, And so that's something we can all be praying about and we should all be busy about. Not becoming an elder, but becoming a servant, exercising our gifts, and then it's obvious to all hey, when they're asked to be a deacon, well, of course, you know, we see them all the time doing that stuff. When they're asked to be an elder, it's like, yeah, I've seen the way he handles the word. I've seen the pastoral care. I've seen his willingness to serve. Number eight, biblical understanding and practice of prayer. Um, who had this one? You remember? Alan did. Okay. Um, we talked about a lot of different a- avenues, the, the individual, but more the corporate side of prayer. Um, I think we even talked through the, the liturgy, the, the order of worship, and not that every church has to do it the way we do. Um, we certainly have rooted ourselves in a very historic approach to worship, uh, so if another church doesn't have any flow like we do, kind of almost an ex- an expectation of what's going to happen next, I'm not saying they're doing it wrong, um, but we do we did stop and think how do we want to intentionally lead worship when the congregation gathers? And when you think through some of the elements in Scripture that shaped worship, uh, we wanted them incorporated into our. Our service and prayer is certainly a part of that, a prayer of praise in most Sundays. Recognizing that's how we enter into worship. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Generally, we want to we acknowledge the idea that maybe we aren't everything that we think we are. Maybe we've sinned this week and here we come again and we're still faced with that question. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who has the right in holiness, to enter into the presence of God and worship. And we remind ourselves we are not fit for that, but Christ makes us fit. So that prayer of confession and assurance of pardon is a weekly reminder that Christ is the reason I will be welcomed into heaven, just as Christ is the reason every week I'm entitled to worship. I can come and lift holy hands Because Christ has made me holy. So that that needs to be in the service. Uh, At least often, and in our case, we try to do that weekly. Uh, A prayer of petition. Because Christ does invite us to, to bring our petitions to our Heavenly Father. And certainly we don't cover all the individual needs. Some of them are big and so they may be mentioned corporately, but so much of your petitioning is going to happen in private. So our public petition is usually more of corporate need, uh, kingdom-related concerns, the missions, uh, the state of the church and the nation and its witness, things like that. Uh, Here again, so in some ways, I think there's strength in the way we approach prayer. Uh, Our understanding of it. In the practice of it corporately, I think we're doing okay. I think when it comes to the organic relationships, be they breakfast meetings, small group meetings, I'd like to see us emphasize more so that everybody knows the expectation in those groups is, man, our great hope of getting it right when we leave here is God's gonna help us. So let's 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 have that season of prayer and and in in all those gatherings, recognizing we need God's help, and he's promised to give it. Uh, So I think we're stable. We're we're okay. We're good. But I think most of us would have to recognize, at least in our personal lives, prayer so easily falls away, and we just put our head down and we get going. Um, And to avoid that in our efforts at discipleship and growth, I think we want to make sure we think in our minds, We have more we can do in this matter of prayer. Finally, number nine, biblical understanding and practice of missions. Dave covered this just a few weeks ago. And I think Dave rightly, uh, I don't even know if that was in the session or in conversation, um, linked missions and outreach. Um, So in my mind, I kind of like taking the evangelism from before and keeping it with missions and, and, and keeping our focus on Okay, the church gathers here, and we can talk discipleship and prayer and growth and service and leadership and deacons, all that stuff kind of in-house, but what about out there? How do, how do, we, how do we put on our armor and go and stand you know, in our culture and in our world and advance this kingdom of God? Uh, and in that vein of thought, we generally think of outreach, kind of our... Jerusalem, Judea, as Dave mentioned, and then eventually missions kind of becomes more distant in our minds. So if that's the way you think of it, great. It's kind of how my mind thinks. Outreach is here around our communities, our neighborhoods, and then missions takes it a little further. In some ways, I think we, we, we have a good understanding of missions. Um, I'd love for us to be more intentional even in how we minister to our missionary families, Uh, and then when it comes to the outreach side, I think there's a lot more we could be doing, and I think a lot of you have ideas and gifts that may surprise you and the rest of us, Uh, because you do have a heart for people, and you see things that others may not see on, on how we could do something there to help spread the gospel, so I think when you combine missions and outreach, there are some strengths and definitely some weaknesses, so whether that makes us a one and a half, or a two, or a one on outreach, but a three on missions. I think there's a lot we could do here, but it's one of these areas that specifically, I think, falls under Ephesians 4, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, where are the gifts in the body that, that just have an eye for the community, the people around us? Uh, how do we help people build relationships to their neighbors? Uh, Some of you are terrified about, I I don't even know how to begin inviting my neighbor over for a cookout and then have any kind of spiritual conversation. Well, okay, but some people do. And I'd love for those to be able to say, okay, I'm having three families over to my house and we're going to talk about the exact steps of how to plan the outreach cookout. Uh, Some of you could do that without a a thought, and you'd love to encourage others in doing that. Some of you would love to spearhead keeping up with our missionaries and having the kids write to them and doing whatever we can do to help them and organizing their furlough when they come and stay with us for a few weeks. Um, There's just all kinds of ideas here, and it's all kinds of ideas that need to be handed to saints uh, because it it is saint ministry. Uh, There's nothing about many of these things that requires, well, that's only for those who are apt to teach and are elders. Well, no, apt to teach is about the only thing that uh, you're not required to do there in in the text. So, sure, I can't mandate all of you be apt to teach, but I can mandate all of you be equipped to do ministry. What what is your love? What is your gifting? What is your passion? And so, for many of these areas, as we continue the evaluation process and conversations on some of them specifically, you know, I, I don't want to be the come you know, committee Bible church. Um, but there is something about having groups of people that have a love or a gift for something that take it and run with it that becomes incredibly um, Ephesians 4. It's just not God gave the pastor teacher and the evangelist and the prophets so that they could run the church and everyone else could sit back and, and critique how they do it. Uh, no, he gave those gifts, the foundational revelatory gifts and then the continuing teaching gifts so that people would hear the word and think, oh, we're it. So if we say we're good at something and give ourselves a three, in a sense, we're thinking, who, who are those threes? Because somebody's doing that work. And if we say we're weak, we're a one, it's like, oh, well, well who's going to do it? Like, who are the saints that are going to do that ministry? So it, we just have to be careful. Okay, we've evaluated ones, twos, and threes. We had a couple of strong, then a couple of weak, and now kind of pretty much a lot of twos finishing out. Who's, who's going to step up and carry us on into three territory where we can comfortably say as a church, we've come to understand what it means to practice this mark well, and we can say, no, this, we're healthy there. Um, And that'll ebb and flow, much like our health all summer long has. But generally, we have to be reminded we're asking you now to hear these nine marks and realize, okay, who of us is going to carry the weight here? Who's going to lead the charge in this ministry? So in these coming months, if we come to you and say, hey, would you pray about doing this? I want you to take that very seriously. Uh, I want you to hear that as, okay, uh, my objection can't be, no, I am so busy doing all these other ministries, because for the most part, we're probably going to know that if you're doing all that other stuff. Uh, Now, your life might be busy. I understand that, but just take this before the Lord and prayerfully consider, does God want me to do this? Some of you might not be asked, and you're going to have God pressing you to do, and you need to come and say, I I want to be used, and I don't even know what it is, so give me something, and I'll try that, and if it's not the love of my life, I'll let you know. Uh, But I'm ready. Turn me loose on something. Um, That would be equally Ephesians 4. Uh, The idea here is all of us taking another spiritual step, and as we do that, we're going to start seeing more gifts shine. We're going to start seeing needs met. We're going to start seeing improved health in some of these areas. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid of committees. Like I said, we don't, we don't need to get carried away, but the idea of a committee is just there's a group of people that can get something done. Uh, and if we need improved health and something needs to be done, instead of asking one person to do it all, especially in a volunteer nature in the life of the church, and let's have a couple of folks. And I know it can become what the three-headed monster and everything else that committees get labeled with, but if we if we leave committees in the role of the deaconing, the service, ministry of the church, I think Christ would be quite pleased with committees if they're all saying, "Hey, I'll John 13. I'll lay aside the the tie and collared shirt, put a towel around my waist and just serve people like Christ did." Because after he washed their feet, he said, guys, listen, I've shown you what it is to serve, and you'll be happy if you find yourself doing this kind of work. We all think it would be, I don't want to do that. No, you'd be surprised the joy that comes in serving like Christ served. So the nine marks has been a great study. We know we're doing okay in some things. God be praised, we've learned some lessons, we've grown in some areas, there's some marks of health, but the reality is there's some marks of weakness, and and this would be true in any church, so we're not like martyrs in some way, and oh, woe is us. We just know sanctification is a process, and if there's a bunch of us in this room trying to be sanctified and get it right, yeah, we're going to be able to say there's some weakness. But the solution is, God, by His Holy Spirit, has gifted us. And as you hear the word, you're to be thinking, "Oh man, maybe th- maybe this is what I need to be doing. Uh, let me try it," and you and you and you go for it. Uh, so there, 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 there isn't some standard of perfection like this aha moment where it's like, "Ta-da!" and the light shines over someone, and they're the perfect answer to the needs of our weakness. No it might just look like somebody does a little bit of serving. And in that, the Lord fans that flame and blesses that service, and it, and it produces health in the church. Um, so be expecting God to lay some burden on your heart. Be ready if someone says, have you ever considered helping in this way? Um, pray about these marks and see if one of these is really something you'd love to help with. You might come to me or one of the elders, or the guy that taught that lesson, and say, "I I don't, I don't know if I can lead it. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Maybe someday, but I'd be willing to help if somebody else is running with this. Great, we'll call you the Aaron category. You'll help hold up somebody's arms a little bit. Uh, Let that be known. Even if it's I don't have a single mark in mind, but I I just want to help. I want to start. Let that be known." Uh, That would be a response of obedience to this whole study of God's word on a healthy church. Uh, Praise the Lord for what we know, for what we're doing, for the health, and let's seek the Lord in these areas of weakness. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's true, we believe it, uh, but at at times it's hard to be confronted with, with weakness, and so give us eyes to see where we can grow, Uh, And and give us the spirit of serving, uh, recognizing that you laid down your life for the establishment of your church, for drawing us to yourself, and so we too can lay down our lives in some form of sacrificial service for the good of the body. Uh, Would you bless this congregation and so many others around our city that are meeting today, trying to figure out. Essentially, the same thing. How to help people understand what it means to be Christian and then how to live the Christian life together. And so, bless your church in our city, uh, around the country, around the world. Um, And give us the eye of faith to see that your church and your kingdom truly uh, are advancing, uh, that we are the triumphant church of Jesus. Uh, And so, we thank you for lessons learned, and for the expectation of improvement. Uh, May this local body glorify its Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.